Shadow Wizard Money Gang. We love casted spells. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh well, uh hi John. Um and uh happy June. Yep. Happy <laughs> happy June 6th. Uh, that's <laughs> yes, what day it is yes, for us. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> and hello everybody we're back um we hope we hope uh everyone else has been having a time slightly better than we have uh it's been a while since you last heard from us um we uh, there's a number of things have happened uh i have finally signed a lease on a house uh we dealt with a uh slew of of uh mental health issue peaks um but or but we are back now uh we've defeated that all uh, and we are we are ready to podcast once again. Um, John, it, it's been a minute uh, since we last sat down. Uh, you haven't anything fun recently? Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's been a bit doom and gloom recently. Yeah, um, you know, I I just thought about it, and I'm pretty sure this over a month is the longest we've gone without recording. Oh my god, I, I, I miss you so much, bro. <laughs> I missed you too. Um, <laughs> fun things I've been up to, um, as always. New Destiny season just came out. There's fishing now. I hope y'all are having fun. I, with that. I love fishing. Um, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the plot's getting interesting. Uh, I, I I would say the so far this season seems like it's gonna make up for all of the all of the problems with for uh, Lightfall's launch Lightfall? and mm-hmm. and the the season that came with it. Um. I think I think things are getting interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, other things I've been up to, I saw, I saw Shin Kamen Rider in theaters. How was that? I I had fun. I've never seen Kamen Rider before. Uh, it was definitely a Hideakiano movie. It was the most auto movie since Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Um, since uh, Shin Godzilla, even. Sure, since Shin Godzilla. The movie um, I still have. Movie I still need to watch. Oh, Shin Godzilla's so good. I know. Um, I know. I've heard. I've heard so much about it. I'm just. I'm lazy. But that was fun. Uh, my my favorite part of that was there were very clearly the, the the same thing happened when I saw Shin Ultraman. There were very clearly a bunch of guys there who were taking their girlfriends on on dates to see something that they had no idea about. Mm-hmm. Um, d- like. In the in the previews, the <laughs> my 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 favorite moment of the night that they did a, a an ad for Super Sentai Blu-rays, and uh-huh. from which, the, would, which makes sense to advertise people who go to see a common writer. Movie. Yes, and and from the back, there the, the, someone said it slightly too loud. She was like. So is it like Power Rangers? And then like a bunch of people just sighed. <laughs> it was it was funny. God, you don't get moments like that outside of the internet very often, and they're always a blessing when they come. It was so funny. Um, but the movie was good. The movie was fun. Lots of lots of jumping and also kicking and other grasshopper related things. Um. What else did I do? Um, I wouldn't say it was fun, but uh, I tortured myself and watched Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? Oh my... Why? 
like okay i have a i have a hyper fixation with like garbage right-wing content and like the whatever the talentless failed screenwriters of our in of the of of the world are up to at any given time but like even i am not perverse and and sick in the head enough to subject myself to to watching that fucking freakazoid bumble around on a screen for two hours um how was it? My my reasoning on a, on why I watched it. I've known about it. He he released it on the the first day of Pride Month last year. Um, a lot of buzz around it. I didn't really care. Um, as nobody should. Yeah. Uh, but on first day of Pride Month this year. Uh, recently Elon made it so that you could post really long videos on on Twitter. And so Twitter's been. If, if anyone has left Twitter and is wondering how it's going, it's going great. It's it's wonderful. Um, Matt Walsh's big, big Pride Month stunt was that he uploaded "What Is a Woman" as as a Twitter post, and all all of these conservatives were were like dick riding him about how bold it was, how how he's a genius. Um, Twitter like blocked the video for for hate speech and it caused a lot of people to like turn on turn on elon which i thought was really funny but it's pretty funny you know after a year of, of people talking about this movie people <laughs> these, these stupid ass conservatives that, like just hyping the shit out of it i was like i have to see like i knew the content that i was going to be getting but i was like i have to see if this is even like well made and it was embarrassing. It, I, I don't even think I can, I can really put it into words on like how, how poorly made it was. Uh, I'm, I'm big into documentaries. I love a good documentary. I, I have seen sure. many documentaries throughout my entire life. Um, there, there, there's literally nothing better than a, than a well-made documentary. Um, yeah, it wasn't even, it, it wasn't even good on that front. Uh, there, there was no sense of cohesion or flow it it was just him like interviewing these random people from like not even like there there, there was no like connective tissue between like the ideologies that these people were speaking from it's just like all people who a conservative would generally think like oh that's like an evil gender person yeah Right, um, like, yeah, like I, I've seen like a little bit. Like I saw a clip of it where like he was interviewing some college professor, and he clipped it. He edited it in such a way that it was like, I, I saw it, and I was like, it was edited like a 2014 like anti SJW YouTube video, and yeah. I was like, I've I have no, I have no desire to ever seek out any more material from this fucking thing ever again in my life. Yeah, um, the the way he interviewed people was just really bad. Uh, he kept trying to be funny, but he always just ended up being really not funny. Um, you know, when when he when he would talk to the the more liberal minded people, it would it would always be like these like really open ended questions, like feigning interest in 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 what they believed. Uh, until he like got to a point where he tried to pull some kind of gotcha uh, to, mm-hmm. to like make them mad, like like every like right wing bad faith argument yeah. that has played out in the history of time. But is what it sounds like. But then when he would talk to like the more conservative people, 
he would like pretend like he was a liberal minded person to like get reactions out of them too. And like the, the weirdest one was, I, it, it sounds like this guy is just a weird little uh, voyeur and we're participating in his fetish. Yeah. Like, that's what it, him. that's what it felt like. It, it felt like it was a weird fetish thing. Um, he interviewed this guy who owned like a star Wars <laughs> shop. And oh, the fucking oh yeah, that dude's in that viral YouTube video where like he was a hero for misgendering a, uh, a trans lady, yeah, or something like that. Um, yeah, awesome dude. <laughs> like, uh, he, my favorite part, I think maybe the only time where I was like, yeah, this is a little bit entertaining, was he he brought on the the on every level except physical. I am a wolf girl from from that viral <laughs> video from like the fucking meme. Yeah, from like. What was that like? 2012, 2013? That feels a little bit later, but I'm not an expert, um, so I'm not gonna commit. I think it was a Vine. I, I I think it was a Vine. Um, sure. But he brought her on, and he he like you know he did he did the whole feigning interest thing. He he like entertained this idea that that she believes she's a wolf. Um, and mm-hmm. and then there's this moment where he's like. So can you show me now what it's like to, you know, like be a wolf? And and this is like 50 seconds into this interview. I, I don't know how long the actual interview went, but it was f- like 50 seconds into it in in the do- in, in the documentary. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And then like that's the end of the interview. Like it was it was like nothing. Like he got nothing out of it and he left it in the documentary. And it it, it it was so bewildering. <laughs> I it because she just yeah. she wouldn't entertain him, and he got nothing out of it, and it just made him look like an ass. Like it, it <laughs> it's it's really it's it's. I think one of the reasons that it's like so like fruitless to engage with like propaganda on that level. Um, is that, like, it's, half of it is, like, just basically, like, a political Rorschach test. Like, that shit is just there, you look at it, you draw whatever meaning you want from it, uh, it's, like, completely neutral, um, but it's gonna end up in the same compilation, because ultimately this whole thing is just, like, for people who've made up their minds already. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's... <laughs> but no, it was really bad, um, I, I can say with certainty that it, it is not worth anyone's time. And any anyone who's like saying how groundbreaking it is either hasn't seen it or is just really stupid. <laughs> I can believe that. Thank you for uh, thank you for taking this undertake. Thank you for uh, making this journey so that none of the rest of us ever have to in our entire life. It was the worst like sober Friday night I've ever had. God, <laughs> God, I am. That is. Man, but to make up man. for it, I'm I'm seeing the new Spider Verse movie tomorrow. So oh, awesome! I still haven't made plans to see that. I should probably uh, check that out. I'm like already like cynical on it because I heard spoilers that it ends with a. Oh, I guess it's not spoilers. Cause it's been known apparently that it's been like a two part movie for a while. But like, I'm already sit like getting cynical about it. And I need to just see it within the next few days before I just turn it completely. Well, I mean, uh, I so. I mean, it was in production since like 2018, and mm-hmm. they didn't announce it that that they were making it a two part movie until like late 2021 
I mean, it, it may have, like, for me, like, I don't keep up with any of this stuff, so, like, I didn't know either way. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like they were announcing it as a two-parter, like, really late, so I wouldn't be surprised if they literally just split the movie in half, and it, like, they didn't, like, do any rewrite. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that it, it is, like, a huge cliffhanger, and it's, like, all build-up, mm-hmm. but... I don't know. I, I I love the ways I love the way that uh, things get chopped up and distributed in the world of um everything has to be a, a product. It's all content. Yeah, it's fun. But the third the third movie comes out in March, so it's not that long of a wait. So okay, yeah, so that's not too bad. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, that I. I can't I, I can't believe you did that to yourself. That is truly <laughs> amazing. I man. like torturing myself. It's fun. <laughs> God, God bless you. Um, I think that we've been babbling long enough about all this, uh, frankly, horrific bullshit. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, a, a, a Homestuck fan fiction that we have been uh, neglecting for uh, <laughs> the past uh, very yeah, long, long while? Long time. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Godfields 2, yeah. part 3. A good yes. plan. Yes, that is that is the title of it. A good plan. Um, so uh, I guess refresher for anybody. Uh, it's it's been a minute. So um, if we'll recall, uh, the last part of this fic ended with uh, Terezi returning to Earth, um, and her and June kind of starting this whirlwind relationship uh, and drafting up this plan for how to deal with Dirk. Uh, the execution of which uh, we will cover today. So, uh, God Steals Part 2, Part 3, uh, Chapter 1. Uh, we open on Trezzy and June, uh, standing outside Rosa's house, uh, preparing to initiate the plan. Uh, June's nerves lead Trezzy to take over the narration. Uh, this is something that this part plays with a lot, is the narration. Um, like, Terezi uh, narrates in this, uh, normal, like, black text style, uh, and breaks into her quirk when she gets emotional. Um, most of it is from June's perspective. Occasionally, Dirk will break in as well. Uh, it, 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 play, it plays a narration in much the similar way the epilogues themselves do. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to read. Uh, so anyway, uh, Tracy takes over the narration, um, and she urges her windy companion to calm down, focus on the plan, and remember that the two of them are here at Rose's just to talk. Uh, Kanaya answers the door, um, and the sight of her visitors briefly stuns her, giving time for Rose to catch up, and they share in this awkward foray greeting outside the house. The canon couple doesn't seem to know what to make of June and Therese's relationship at this point, but when June asks if they can come in to decide to talk things over, uh, they are welcomed inside. Therese, uh remarks as the narrator that even if she couldn't read their minds, uh, she's sure that they're bursting to share their opinions on the matter anyway. Um... Inside, uh, June observes the surroundings, and she feels a pang of guilt at the torn pieces of paper that litter the home from her outburst in this room, same room just the other day. Uh, the four of them sit down to talk. Uh, tensions are high. Uh, Rose begins by accusing June of showing up to tear up their living room again, and June bites back with a non-apology declaring that she's not sorry for it. Thankfully, uh, Kanaya steps up to mediate the rising tide and tries to turn the topic to Terezi, and asks when the two of them shacked up. Terezi gives a blunt response of, I tried to kill her, then we had sex, which miffs the, which, which miffs Rose and Kanaya. Uh, Rose asks about June's new ensemble, uh, her new punk style. And, uh, as Terezi's narration starts to lose grip, uh, June steps in to remind her friends that she does still possess agency of her own, and to explain that her new look is the result of a series of personal decisions made for herself. Uh, Terezi has an emotional moment here, uh, and when 
Rose asks, like, what's the deal with June's clothing? Uh, Trozier remarks, uh, this bitch, June, I know we're keeping it calm and cool right now, but, and then June steps in to take control of the situation herself. Um, Terezi, uh, comments in the narration that Rose in particular is stunned by June stepping up and giving this answer, uh, and she has the smell of someone who is rapidly reconsidering everything that they know about a person. Uh, can I apprise at some other topics to try to stimulate the conversation, but neither of them really want to discuss Terezi's adventures in Paradox Space or the meaning behind June's new tattoo. Uh, she gets June to start talking again when she inquires about her new symbol, which is a blend of the light and breath signs that she bears on her shirt now. June is happy to discuss the iconography and the hypothetical ethics of retconning over the commission that she paid for it, um, combi to combine uh, her and her Frisca's symbols. Uh, she comments that she doesn't know whether it's purely a symbolic thing or has a spiritual meaning related to her transition. Uh, to this, Rose makes a sarcastic comment about trusting their fate with, uh, over to unknown forces, um, and June doesn't seem to pick up on the irony of it, uh, saying, yeah, I mean, it's gone pretty well for us so far, I guess. And, uh, this is enough to kind of crack Rose's veneer and, uh, dissipate some of the tension. Um, Rose finally acknowledges here that June is, really is a new person. Um, and, yeah, some of the, the tension in the room dissipates. Terezi and June flirt back and forth a little bit again, and this time the other girls are happy for them instead of judgmental. Uh, we see, uh... Rose and Kanai get a little bit closer on the couch as the as the as the mood in the room uh, warms up. Uh, Rose kind of turns the turn, tone somber once more when she addresses June apologetically, uh, saying, "I'm sorry, I should have known better than to behave the way I did the other day." Uh, June responds in earnest to this. Uh, I'm just going to read it because I like it a lot. Um, I appreciate your apology, but when I tell you that you should have known better, I'm not asking for an explanation or atonement. Uh, she goes into an extended monologue uh, explaining her feelings, and she makes it clear that what it was like to come out to Rose, uh, how excited she was to share in her new newfound identity with her, um, and how painful it was to be met with rejection from somebody who she thought would be excited to share in it with her. Uh, Non-verbally, Terezi cheers her on uh, at the end of it, and steps back to pick, in the to pick the narration back up after June is exhausted by her speech. Uh, Rose, in turn, offers to explain her own difficult feelings around June as of late. Uh, as an explanation, if not an excuse, she says. Uh, she confesses that it, it's always been apparent to her that June had some kind of issues to work through that they just never had time to address. Um, and that when she acquired her retcon powers, uh, the person that Rose formerly knew as John became an unfathomable enigma to her. Um, she's far from proud to admit it, but she does say that she felt relief when John hid himself away and effectively neutralized whatever threat that she was afraid the new retcon powers could pose to the new reality. Um, and now, as Rose sees it, uh, now that June is out and about and modeling herself after Vriska, one of the most dangerous people they ever knew, uh, Rose's unease about the retcon powers is at an all-time peak. Uh, Kanaya senses that this is a sensitive moment, and she takes the time to interject and ask Terezi if they would like to catch up separately. Uh, and Terezi asks if June can handle it herself. June assures her that she can, and they leave to uh, let June and Rose handle it themselves. Uh, before the two of them get really serious, uh, June notices a text from Carcat demanding her immediate attention, and tactfully puts it down to address Rose first. Uh, she pours her heart out into a plea with Rose to understand that she's thought about the situation just as much as Rose has, and any concerns that Rose might have as an outsider are shared with her, shared by her tenfold as the person who's in the center of the whole thing. Um, and she begs her to understand that she needs people to trust her, uh, to, uh, to trust her that she understands this as well. 
Um, she voices this as an ultimatum. Uh, either you help me or you kill me. There is no in-between. Uh, Rose is pretty shaken by this and finally seems to reach some kind of understanding that June is truly being sincere. Uh, Rose goes to let the others know that the coast is clear and they're done talking, and June takes the chance to check her message with Carcat. Uh, Carcat also is characteristically very apologetic. Um, it, this is great Carcat dialogue. It's I, I think that uh, Sarah writes Carcat in a very fun way um, throughout this chapter. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to highlight all of it specifically, but the Carcat dialogue is great. Um, yeah, he, let's see, Carcat is very apologetic about, uh, acting like an asshole at June's coming out, um, even though he was the only person who validated her at the time, uh, and he's very ashamed of how Dave acted and how he personally feels responsible for how Dave acted and not pushing back on it. Um... Carcat is also very curious to hear the circumstances about Therese's return, uh, but June's deflections on not wanting to talk about it at the moment are interrupted by Dave hijacking the phone to apologize. Uh, this is a little bit... Uh, there's, tensions are high here. Uh, Dave was kind of a huge asshole in the last bit, if we'll, if we'll recall, uh, when June came out. Um, one, of, one of the harder parts of that initial part was... Uh, of that bit was uh, asshole Dave, if we'll recall. Um... But his apology is in, I'll also say, really typical Dave fashion. Uh, he says his reaction was embarrassing and was inappropriate and totally uncool. And he now has June's back 100%. Uh, he, it, it, it's really funny. He beats around the bush a bit, um, like, tries, like, talks about other topics, uh, and then just gets to, he's like, hey, I was a fucking asshole. I'm sorry. Uh, it's very, uh, clunky, uh, but, it's great. I love it. It's yeah, it's, it's clunky in a way that feels authentic. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like uh, I will I will file this under like things I found relatable and funny as someone who has grown up with trans friends throughout his life. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Continuing. Um, June's mood is momentarily uplifted by how quickly she's winning her friends back today. Um, and she gets up and she's ready to share the good news with her girlfriend. Uh, but she hears a knock at the door. Uh, when she answers, uh, unfortunately, it is not Dave or Carcat, but an armed robot uh, uh, at the ready to impale her. And damn, man, shit goes south. We cut to uh, Trezzy and Kanai in the other room, uh, chatting about their relationships moments before this happens. Um, Kanai remarks that her life uh, with Rose on Earthsea has been by far the most boring her life has ever been. Um which both her and Therese acknowledge is something that's very positive relative to growing up in Alternia. Uh, Therese talks about how her class spec and her powers of mind have affected her love life and how uh, everyone that she meets is essentially predictable to her and June is a break in this pattern that she hasn't seen since Vriska, basically. Um, so Kanaya wonders if maybe that means that uh, June is the one for Therese like Rose was for her. Um, at the mention of her, uh, Rose bursts back in, fresh off her conversation with June, uh, teary-eyed about how bad of a person she is. Um, and just as they're about to indulge in a good old feelings jam, Terezi senses a visitor at the door, uh, just as June goes to answer it. Okay, um, yeah, uh, chapter one of... Yeah, that's chapter one. Good, um, good chapter. Good, yes. Good chapter. 
we, we we get a sense now of what's going on here. We we gotta we gotta uh go back around and win a win win our friends back over uh yeah. in preparation of the big confrontation with Dirk. Anyway, uh, things uh, unfortunately it seems that Dirk is already here. He's okay. He's he's, he's already here. You say? Oh oh oh! Call back. Oh oh shit. <laughs> Okay, uh, moving on. I- I'm going to just move on to chapter two. Um, yeah, that's fine. Expect this. Okay, because uh, things, thing, things pick up. Uh, there, there, there's, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, chapter two. Um, we start with a flashback uh, to June and Terezi in the former childhood home. Um, June has just gotten out of bed, and she's thinking about the events of the day. Um she notices Teresi's condition, uh, which already seems to be improving compared to when she arrived back on Earth. Her skin already looks better. Um, she looks healthier. Uh, she's happy about it. Um, she thinks about uh, her dad's office and how potentially they could move out of her childhood bedroom and into a room with more than just a twin bed. Um, Teresi wakes up to this thought. It appears that the two of them are like psychically sensitive to one another. I guess I, they, that's like a real... Uh, that was a really nerdy way to phrase it, I guess. But the the June and Terezi um start talking back and forth over over the narration as a medium, um, which is uh, it's it's not like it's not the kind of thing that I would say demands an explanation. Um, but when relaying it like this, it, I I gotta make it clear that that's what's going on. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh. Like I was saying, June thinking about this uh, wakes Terezi up uh, at the thought of more uh, spacious accommodations. Um, she teases June for thinking loudly about her dead dad stuff, and she reminds her that today is the day of their plan. Uh, and she gets up out of bed and leaves to clean her spot for the day ahead. Uh, June watches her and she goes, and uh, it's thinking and bleh. June watches her as she goes and thinks to herself how nice it is to have a partner whose ass she can check out free of shame. Uh, it turns out that just the right person can lead you, can teach you that sexuality is okay. Uh, she leaves to go and prepare for the day herself. Uh, on the way to the bathroom, June stops at Dad's room. Um, she steals herself before entering and flipping the light, but she isn't met with whatever existential despair she expected uh, to be confronted with at her, the memory of her dad. Um... Terezi joins her and she apologizes for being sensitive and joking about dad's bedroom earlier. Um, they enter the room and come to rest in the bed and June starts to think about, or June starts to talk about how little it's affecting her and versus what she expected. Um, I think I, I'll, I'll just read this quote as well. I think I came in here hoping they would make me sad. It's been nice these last couple of days, uh, being with you. Like, too nice. There's got to be another shoe waiting to drop. Uh, June confesses that she used to dream of feeling better. Uh, time back into the title of the first chapter. Uh, or I guess the title of the whole thing. Uh, and now that she's finally there, um, in a place where she feels happy, uh, everything else that used to make her sad doesn't matter anymore. Um, she feels ambivalent on uh, all the memories of the house, and it's kind of, the threat of it has left, and she's not sure how to feel about it. Um... Terezi and June lie together for a while uh, before Terezi brings the plan again, up again. Um, they reaffirm to each other that this is their best course of action. This is the best they can do. And they're going to have to be careful to pull it off. Uh, but confidently, June proclaims, let's fuck this motherfucker the fuck up. Hell yeah. Anyway. 
back to the first chapter. Uh, June is pinned to a wall uh, on the end of a sword, belonging to a murderous robot, and Dirk is speaking to her through it with yet another, in a seemingly endless series of ultimatums. Uh, as usual, he aims for the sore spot. Uh, we have the same goal, Egbert, hard as it might be for you to believe. We want our friends to live long and happy lives, and want our world to go on spinning for just as long as it can. There are a number of obstacles in the way of that, and I was prepared to deal with all of them, until you showed up. He threatens to kill her if she doesn't just comply and retcon everything she's done so far, and remove herself from the timeline. Troisi and Kanaya arrive downstairs just in time to see this happening. Uh, Dirk takes the opportunity to murder them in front of June's eyes, and threatens to dispense a just death to Rose in kind, which gives June the strength to fight off her captor and destroy the bots in the house. Uh, Rose, mourning Kanaya, tragically, is cut short by Dave and Karkat arriving on the scene at the same time as another wave of robots. Uh, June fumbles for a moment and lets a stray thought of the plan slip, uh, which Dirk takes notice of in the, in the narration, um, alerting him to something being afoot. Uh, Dave and Karkat, uh, continue to fight the encroaching waves of robots alongside, uh, Rose and June. Um, but as the battle rages on, uh, Dirk's forces appear to gain the upper hand. Uh, Dave and Rose fight side by side as God tears and Karkat does his best, but June is really fucked up from her initial assault by the robot. And is, become, and is not becoming less disemboweled over time. Another robot pins her to the floor, and Dirk addresses her again, restating his demand for her to retcon everything. He makes it clear that he will keep killing people to drive the point home, and, lets the robot, and he lets the robot punctuate this point by breaking her arm. Uh, calling back to when she attacked him in the previous chapter. Uh, finally, uh, Dave speaks up, and he asks why the hell they're fighting his brother's robot army. Uh, he finds himself unable to manipulate time, and he turns to June, uh, who explains that she can't use her powers either, because that's what Dirk wants. Uh, Dave starts to panic, and Karkat follows, which prompts Dirk to choose his next target. Uh, there's no description of how Karkat is killed, but I think it's done very effectively with Dave's next line. Bro, are you listening? This is really what you're doing right now. Shit, dude, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I love that line. It's great. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, another robot cracks Dave over the head and knocks him out before he can act. June's spirit is finally broken at witnessing Karkat's death, and she agrees to cooperate. The robot that's holding her up drops her and letting her fall into position to catch a glimpse of Dirk himself uh, standing outside, waving at her through a hole in the wall. Um, he smirks at her, and his train of thought in the narration abruptly derails as Roxy interjects from off-screen to call him a scumbag. At this point, uh, we again uh, are taken to another flashback sequence. Um, this time, we get to see uh, June and Terezi visiting Roxy and how that installation of the plan works out. So, uh, June and Terezi have just asked her to keep in... So, we've, we, we cut to uh, Roxy in the living room area talking with Terezi and June. Uh, the two of them have just asked her to keep an eye on Dirk because he's threatening them. Uh, Roxy is massively conflicted with this suggestion. You're asking me to spy on a boy who saved my life? You just stop, you just drop by and say the boy I crushed on for years tried to kill you, and you expect me to just, like, take your word for it when you say it's complicated? Terezi and June, uh, converse telepathically about this issue. Uh, Terezi isn't sure if Roxy is a safe pick or not to, to bring it on the plan, uh, but they agree that this is their best bet anyway. Um... Roxy snaps them out of their brief shared moment, and she asks what is up with their relationship and why Terezi's there. Uh, 
Terezi answers for herself and she says that if June didn't want her around, that if June didn't want her around, she wouldn't be there. Uh, June's been through a lot and Terezi respects her boundaries and she says, if she didn't want me here, I wouldn't be. It's important that I'm here. Uh, this is satisfactory for Roxy, um, who agrees to hear them out and she uses her void powers to give them a bubble so that uh, Dirk couldn't possibly eavesdrop on it. Uh, inside this bubble, uh, June shows Roxy the scar where Dirk had held the sword to her throat um, in the last chapter. Uh, Roxy is resistant to believing that Dirk could be capable of such a thing, but when June points out what a coincidence it was that he showed up at her house the same day that they did, um, and she asks how often he really comes around to visit, uh, Roxy starts to crack, and she admits that, you know, maybe things are a little bit weird. She should, she, she can help do them a favor. Uh, the mention of Dirk's weird behavior, uh, prompts Roxy to talk a bit from, on her own perspective on it. Uh, and we get the sense that this is not something that she shares easily with people. Um, she talks about how the way that Dirk treats Calliope makes her uncomfortable. Um, and that she sees that when Dirk, like, she sees in Dirk's interaction with Calliope that it seems like he views her as, like, an open book and doesn't seem to have any interest in her. And, uh, she said, and Roxy says that in light of this, uh, they'll con she'll consider their demands. Um, June senses that it's best not to press this, um, and she thanks her and they leave. Uh, no, June decides it probably is best not to press her on this, and she thanks her for being on their side um, before they leave. Back in the present, um, Roxy, having just seen how much of an asshole Dirk is uh, with her own two eyes, uh, launches herself at him and hits him hard enough across the jaw to momentarily incapacitate him. Uh, Roxy pulls June to her feet, and the two begin to depart the scene before Dirk rises again, and Roxy accepts his challenge to continue their fight, uh, while June pleads and bleeds out on the ground. <laughs> uh, Dirk quickly overpowers Roxy, uh, but he is unable to finish the job, and the sight of Roxy helpless uh, overcomes him before he is able to deliver the killing blow, and he stabs her in the armpit instead of the heart. Uh, angry with her interference and with his own weakness, uh, Dirk yells at her to stop resisting, and all she's doing in the process is delaying the other friend's resurrection once he forces June to put everything back. Um, he basically says, hey, you're all you're doing is holding up my plan, this is the only way it's going to go down, uh, stop resisting. Uh, Roxy taunts him that she might not have put up much of a fight, but the distraction alone was enough. And Dirk, uh, has no idea what this means, and he looks around, uh, shocked. Uh, in his confusion, he realizes that June and all of the bodies are gone. At this oh. point, we are treated to a third flashback sequence. Can't get enough of them. Uh, Terezi and June, uh, are at the sacrificial slab at the hollowed-out center of Prospit. Um, Terezi lying on her mind slab and June standing beside her with the Warhammer of Zillahu at the ready. Uh, June tries to steal herself mentally for what she is about to have to do. Uh, she's a little bit icked out at the idea of having to kill her girlfriend, even if it is for the plan's sake, and even if it is temporary. Um, Terezi couldn't be less bothered here. Uh, it takes her a minute to, to work up the courage to squash Terezi like a bug, uh, but she manages to do it, and after a moment of uncomfortable silence, um, very uncomfortable silence. Uh, Terezi returns to life as a god tier, and June wraps her in a tearful embrace. Um, they, uh, they, uh, they're overjoyed to learn that.
that their plan will work and uh, the death slab, the sacrificial slabs do work the way they thought they did and they move to gather the rest of them for the next stage of the plan. In the present, a flash of light from inside the house momentarily blinds Dirk. Uh, when the light fades and he can see again, he is already overwhelmed by the gang of freshly minted god tears that greets him. Uh, Karkat, Kanai, and Terezi make a triumphant return in their new pajamas, uh, and they briefly toy with Dirk before he realizes the situation and makes an escape. Everyone's attention turns to June, whose health has only been steadily declining after a robot stabbed her through the gut at the beginning of the chapter. At Terezi's behest, uh, Kanaya attempts to use her abilities as the silt of space to restore some order to June's broken body. While Kanaya works on her girlfriend, uh, Terezi wakes Dave and Rose. Rose and Kanaya share a loving moment that Terezi describes as chaste. Uh, meanwhile, Dave holds on to Karkat for dear life and babbles about how watching his death affected him and he's finally ready to address all of his gay feelings that they've been avoiding between them before they finally kiss in a manner that Terezi can only liken to wet towels slapping together. <laughs> It, it, it's pretty great. Uh, Terezi pulls Karkat away and demands... Uh, Terezi pulls Karkat away from his boyfriend and demands he contribute to the effort to heal June uh, with his new Knight uh, of Blood abilities. Um, as he gets to work, uh, the girls talk amongst themselves throughout the narration. Um, June tells Terezi that she loves her uh, and in her near-death, uh, Hayes asks if she'll stick around. To which Terezi says, long term for them, that just got extended to the heat death of the universe. Aww. June finally manages to get back on her feet. Um, Rose, Kanaya, Dave, Karkat, and Terezi run outside to assist Roxy, who has still been stabbed by, who, who's still lying where she was stabbed by Dirk, uh, pinned to the ground. Um, June takes a moment to look around for her glasses, and just as she finds them, uh, Dirk once again swoops in, taking the opportunity now that her friends are gone to pin her to the ground and attempt to rip her soul out with his Prince of Heart powers. Uh, June only registers Trezzy's streams in the distance um, as Dirk assaults her. Uh, in her last conscious moments, uh, June's narration splits into the two quirks of her component pieces, I suppose, uh, and she cries out they have to keep it together. Uh, everything goes dark, and the next thing that we know... Uh, we, quote-unquote, are floating in the void, accompanied only by Vriska and Dirk. And Dirk demands of us, uh, teach me how to retcon. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like going chapter by chapter on discussion here is like a little bit difficult just because it's high. It, there's a lot of action going on throughout this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... But yeah, the I think that there's there's some fun stuff in here that's worth shouting out. Um, I think Sarah's version of the Dave Cat confession is really funny. Uh, the um, I'm not sure how to feel about like the like layered flashback style. I feel like that's something that like it, it might work a little bit more naturally when you're when it's like a, a visual like a comic. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit difficult, or not even it's a little bit awkward. I would say. Uh, but I feel like it ultimately does communicate what it needs to. Yeah, I, um, I, I would agree with that. My, my armchair criticism. There's a lot of flashbacks, but I don't, I don't think that it really undercuts the quality too much. Uh, I, I think that, um, I, I like the attention that it gives, and this comes back also later. Uh, but I think that, like, Roxy's perspective on Dirk is interesting. Um, 
like I, I think that even even though Dirk's actions in this fic are pretty extreme, mm-hmm. uh, I think it is uh, one of the more interesting like dynamics in the comic is like the people that Dirk grew up with, uh, and the like what Rock's impression of Dirk is versus what it is in reality, uh, and and I, like that's also that comes up in the epilogues as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it is one of the more interesting dynamics to explore. Um, and I like the attention that it gives to, like... Yeah, it, it, even though Dirk is being a fucking evil piece of shit in this story, like, it makes sense that his friends wouldn't just abandon him. Um, and it would be difficult. And it, 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 cre- it, it creates some interesting drama. Okay. Uh, anyways, uh, back to chapter three. Um, if we have nothing else. Uh, so this one, uh, speaking of the devil, begins with yet another flashback to June and Terezi lazing about the house discussing their strategy. Um, June brings up that she feels guilty about their plans for Jade, uh, which at this point involved destructing the timeline or referred her to go back and befriend one of the dead trolls to give her someone to be properly emotionally invested in, uh, June observes that um, Jade has a similar loneliness problem that she had for many years and concludes that maybe the best thing to do would be to give her somebody else to care about like happened to her. Um, But at the end of this, she doesn't feel great about putting her sister through some textbook emotional manipulation, uh, which Terezi dismisses as uh, navel-gazing nonsense. This comes up a couple of times. Um, Terezi is a lot more willing to play with there is a lot more willing to play around with uh their friends and do manipulation if it's in service of defeating Dirk. Uh which I think is kind of an interesting question to raise, and uh the fic does kind of like answer it over and over with like Yeah, but it's okay because Dirk is being an evil piece of shit and or not. Um but yeah, uh so, yeah, June doesn't feel great about employing these tactics against Jade, and Terezi is pretty unbothered about it. Uh, she reminds June that just because her and Dirk's methods might seem similar, their goals are objectively more noble than his. Um, and she reminds June that Friska had to make a similar decision to lead the army of mind thrall ghosts to Battle Lord English. It might not have been pretty, uh, she might have gotten a lot of ghosts double killed, but it worked. Um... June wishes that Terezi could come with her for this outreach to inspire confidence again, uh, but they both know that it'd be wiser for June to talk to Jade alone. They kiss each other goodbye, um, and June reflects on how alive it makes her feel. On the way out, uh, Terezi grabs her by the shirt and reminds her that no matter how tough it might be, what they're doing today is in service of something good. In the present, uh, Dirk realizes, uh, while trying to pull June's soul out of her body, uh, that Terezi has somehow pinned him in place. Uh, using her mind powers. The group confers among themselves to determine what to do next. Um, when Dave steps in to interrogate him, Dirk is only silent. Uh, as they surround Dirk, uh, trying to get an answer out of him, uh, Trezzy notices that there is a warship approaching overhead, uh, with more of Dirk's troops on the way. The group prepares to retreat and, uh, continue the fight, um... Dirk speaks directly into Terezi's mind, taunting her that there's nothing that she can do to save June now, as he's taken her soul and split it apart again. 
Uh, she lashes out at him in rage, uh, but manages to pull herself together to help the others drag him and June inside the house to take shelter. Uh, Kanaya focuses- Kanaya, uh, using her newly developed minion over space, uh, creates a shield to deflect the hail of bolts that start raining in from Dirk's soldiers outside. Uh, Terezi, uh, stays inside with Dirk, uh, completely focused on keeping him in place. Uh, from indoors- she overhears the soldiers surrounding the house. Um, she hears that Jake and Jane have arrived on scene as well. Uh, Jane speaks first, calling out to ask what the hell is going on here and what is going on with Dirk. Uh, Roxy calls for her to come inside, catching her off guard that her former best friend might be involved in all of this. So Jane's loyalties now are being tested. Um, she's unsure how to, who to trust here. Uh, Roxy and Dirk both plead with her from different angles. Um... Dirk plies at her from the narration, uh, trying to manipulate her into taking the action that he wants, while Roxy directly addresses her and asks her, Bitch, is this really how you think I wanted to spend my day? Uh, for a second, Jane stands uncertain, until Dirk's suggestions seem to take root, and under her breath she suggests to Jake that Roxy could easily be under some alien mind control. Uh, Terezi can't help but overhear this, um, and she angrily steps up to confront Jane. Uh... This sends Jane into a racist uh, business owner diatribe. Uh, I've had enough of aliens sticking their filthy fingers in my brain and telling me what to do. Um, I'll not be subjecting the vast fortune of my corporate empire to the whims of a foreign in interloper all willy-nilly, Jake. Not today, not again. Um, miraculously, uh, Jake does step in to mediate and reminds Jane that despite her paranoid convictions, none of their friends have any reason to actually try to subvert her throne of power. And if they did, it would probably be a less public affair than what's going on right now. Uh, Kanaya begs the others to come inside as her powers are waning. Um, just as she said this, says this, just as she says this, a stray bullet makes it through Kanaya's shield and hits Terezi square in the head. Uh, Dirk takes advantage of her momentary death and immediately flees, blubbering to Jake's side, uh, making himself as pathetic as can possibly be and whimpering that they're all going to kill him and they need to escape. Uh, the uh, Rose, Dave, Karkat, and Kanaya uh, all start to freak out at Terezi's death. Uh, Karkat is especially traumatized. Uh, he just got Terezi's blood splashed in his mouth. Um, and uh, they are all kind of thrown into disarray while Dirk tries to persuade Jane and Jake that they need to leave. Um, Dirk uh, does his best to pressure them into going along with him uh, and not questioning it, but Terezi manages to revive in time to claw her way back into the narration and basically distract Dirk long enough to give Jake a moment to think for himself. Uh, in this moment, uh, Jake suddenly re remembers that June exists and he becomes worried for her well-being. Uh, and free from Dirk's influence, he forces himself his way into the house and he finds her unconscious body. Uh, he falls to his knees, despondent. Um crying that June warned him about this, and that he thought that she was just being a hysterical broad. Uh, the raw emotion of the moment overpowers Jake, and he starts to shine with hope again, uh, so bright that even Terezi can see it. Um, Dirk comments that this is interesting, and something he can work with. Uh, meanwhile, we get to see a little bit of what's going on in the void with Dirk and June. Uh, we're, we're set in the void, the, the place that we that the, the place that John sees or that June sees outside of the story, uh, the place of perpetual creation destruction outside the edge of the universe. Um, 
Dirk, uh, he encourages a groggy, seemingly barely conscious, uh, freshly separated John to share his power with him. Demanding to know whether their canon-altering powers come from John or Riska, or whether it's somehow shared. Uh, the part of June called John is inarticulate and unresponsive to Dirk's questions, uh, and he can only think about Riska and moan general unease um, at feeling like something is missing. Uh, frustrated, Dirk snaps his fingers to knock John back out, and he tries to wake the third figure in the void, Riska herself. Uh, she proves equally as uncooperative as John, answering Dirk's questions with threats of violence, um, and she taunts him that she won't give him the expository monologue he's looking for. Uh, she catches him a little bit unprepared when she speaks the narration back to him. Uh, well, guess what, nerd? I'm not a wiggler, and you're not the first overbearing man I've had to dominate for my own survival. Um, she lets loose a bolt of energy from himself to the unconscious Egbert, and uh, Dirk quickly knocks her out again. Um, he prepares to resort to plan B at this point, uh, destroying June's soul in an attempt to extract whatever is left of California's juju to take for himself. Uh, but as he turns to do this, he's interrupted by an unexpected voice in his head that is suddenly questioning uh, whether what he's doing is right. Um, I won't read the entire exchange, but it is pretty good. I like it a lot. Uh, let's see. Uh, the morality of the thing is fucking irrelevant. Right or wrong is what needs to be done. Without Egbert in place and pliable, everyone else ceases to exist in any meaningfully familiar sense. This is bigger than him or me or anyone else. Is this really a selfless act, though? Nothing I do is selfless. All I am is self, and all that can't help but flow into every word I say, every action I take. But again, whether this is verifiably altruistic is a dead-end question. If I find some egotistical fulfillment in doing what needs to be done, what's the difference? If a greedy man saves the world, the world still gets saved. This is what's necessary. So we see a little bit of Dirk, like, justifying it to himself, and what Dirk's voice of self-doubt looks like. Yeah. Uh, and as he looks away and looks back at the body, um, Vriska turns into another Dirk, uh, who he briefly struggles with. Um, good moment. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, we go from the scene of the void to another flashback, uh, of June on her way to execute Jade's part of the plan. Um, on her way there, uh, she flies overhead the forest where she and Dirk had their first fight, uh, back in the first chunk of the fic, or back in the second chapter. Um, the traumatic memory overpowers her and she has to take a moment to land. Uh, and unfortunately... Her rest is interrupted momentarily when a gunshot strips the bark of a tree right next to her, and she cries out when Jake approaches. Uh, Jake is friendly and Jake-like as ever, um, but June is terrified of where his allegiances might lie. Uh, he compliments her new. He goes as far as to compliment her new appearance. Um, one considers such dress in isolation with a scoff, but draped upon the body of a friend, one must abandon their preconceptions and admit that when a look is a look, th th and admit when a look is a look, and this dear girl is quite the look, which. I, I, Sarah's really good at writing uh, the Homestuck kids, I gotta Definitely. say. Definitely. Like, yeah, I agree. Dave, like, great Dave, fucking great Jake. Uh, we're, we're playing the hits today. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. Um, uh, so, when he brings up that Dirk uh, told him that Terezi's back on Earth Sea, uh, June freaks out and wonders again where Jake's allegiances lie, how much Dirk has told him, and like what he's already told him. Uh, she starts to have a panic attack, um, which he doesn't pick up on, but still manages to talk her through in a really nice way. Um, he, uh, he, Jake relates to the difficulty of self-actualization to June. Uh, he commends her on her bravery and the uh, quote-unquote uh, chutzpah it took to become who she is today. 
and uh, says that if he had to deal with something like that, he'd probably turn tail and run. June urges him not to sell himself short, and Jake confesses that he feels like his life of capitulation and being a follower hasn't really earned him a seat at the Earthsea God table. And June just realizes that she is not the only one with a lot of figuring herself out to do. Uh, June asks Jake if, she th if he thinks that Dirk is a bad person. She takes the opportunity to try to bring up the Dirk allegiance with him. Um, he answers that he doesn't think anyone is really a bad person, and think that Dirk is someone who will do what he thinks is right. Uh, he asks why she's so twisted up about him, um, and she confides that she thinks that she might have to kill Dirk. Uh, Jake is shocked, but he, like Roxy, ultimately seems to trust her. Uh, June realizes that Jake is a lot more like her than she ever thought, and she gives him a big loving hug, a big loving hug before leaving. Um, she tells him that they all, especially him, deserve better than Dirk, and she has, and so then, and he says he hopes they can work it out. Back in the void, uh, Dirk tries to ignore his altar. Um, the alternate uh, mocks him, and he questions how he can be sure he's not the Dirkiest Dirk to ever Dirk. Uh, and when he turns back to try to continue his work of destroying June's soul, his double confronts him with the question, why didn't you kill Roxy? Uh, this gets to him, uh, and he turns away to grab his doppelganger by the tank top straps and shake him. Um, and the fake response in kind interjecting into the narration and grabbing him back. Uh, and as John speaks up in the background asking, is June okay? Uh, Dirk looks away and alternate Dirk is once more Vriska and he can only watch as she blasts Egbert with a bolt of lightning connecting them again. Um, Dirk returns to reality at this, uh, becoming conscious of Jake's babbling over June's body as waves of hope wash over their surroundings. Uh, there's another great Jake line here um, that I just want to call out. Uh, I know she feared you like a cat fears the veterinarian. <laughs> uh, and there's another one, too, that I didn't write down, but I don't know why I didn't write down. But it's like, um, she came to me uh, frightened like a babe in the woods, and she was. <laughs> um, again, fantastic Jake dialogue. Yeah. Dirk tries to retcon his way out of the situation using his newly seized powers. Uh, but he realizes that his distributed consciousness and meaning of existence is incompatible with whatever this is. Uh, seeking a weak-willed vessel to carry out his will, he channels his power into Jake before his train of thought is interrupted by the sound of barking. Who, who let, Yet another flashback begins. Who let, oh, sorry. who let the dogs out? Who? Oh, holy shit. Say that again so Alex can edit it in and it'll be funnier. Who let the dogs out? Okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yet another flashback begins um and this time we get to see what june's visit to jade looks like during preparations uh jade's place when june visits is a mess um and jade matches her depressed or her, her depressing uh disheveled surroundings uh when she enters june notices that the laboratory that jade calls home looks more like a child's idea of a lab than anything practically scientific uh there's like children's like, like a children's idea of science experiments laying around like test tubes stuff like that um and uh she notes also that the dusty interior lies in sharp contrast to the sunny kids playground that's just across the street jane is apologetic about her surroundings but she puts a smile on for june uh she starts to get excited at the prospect of hanging out and doing girl stuff with her sister but cuts herself off um sorry i know you probably don't want to spend more time with me than you already have to uh, June tries to reassure her, but she doesn't really feel like she's getting through to a clearly chronically depressed Jade. Uh, 
unsure of what to turn the topic of conversation to, uh, June starts talking about Therese's return and their relationship. Jade tries to keep up her appearances, uh, but breaks down in tears, unable to contain her disappointment in herself for being unsupportive of her sister when she needed her the most. She basically tells her, I'm glad you found someone who could be better for you than me. Which is just a really terrible way to think about yourself. Uh, yeah. Poor Jade. Poor Jade. Uh, we, we get back a lot into the Jade, into the Jade uh, angle in, in, in this cha- in um, part three, and I, I, I do like it a lot. Uh, June embraces this opportunity to dive into Jade's issues and ask what's eating at her. Uh, Jade spills her guts about how shitty and lonely she feels watching her friends fall in love with one another um, without ever getting a moment of her own. Uh, she resents her aspect and the loneliness that it brings, uh, and she envies her friends and sister for their ability to connect with people and handle themselves socially. Jade feels like she can never be good enough uh, being a space player, and she desperately wishes that she could be someone else. June uh, hears that last thought, and she resonates with it a little bit. Uh, she gives Jade a long hug before moving on to make sh- a bold suggestion. She offers Jade a chance, uh, not at what she was really thinking, to go back and make a friend, uh, but to go back and do her part to fight Lord English. Not using the retcon to fix a moment in Jade's tale, but using it to give this present Jade in front of her a chance of catharsis. She releases to her own decision to not go back and yank herself out of the closet at a young age. Um, rather, leaving that agency and that journey to her current self to experience at the right time. Uh, Jade sits and she absorbs June's impassioned rant here about personal growth and taking the chance at revenge. And when she wordlessly leaves and retreats into the house, uh, June worries that she might have overdone it. Um, and just as she gets up to start to leave, uh, Jade reappears in her full Witch of Space raiment, uh, ready for action. June prepares to leave immediately, um, loosely directing the zap to a crucial moment for Jade in general proximity to the final battle against Lord English. Uh, it's June using her retcon powers is described as like her just focusing not on a specific time or place, but on a concept, um, something that makes something that relates strongly to Jade. Uh, the two materialize just at the right time and place to witness firsthand Jade's conversation with Dave Pettis Wright in front of the Green Sun, uh, right at the end of Homestuck. Um, just after Ghost Calliope told Jade uh, her piece on loneliness and what space represents. Uh, Jade watches his conversation and cringes at her younger self's attempts to rationalize what she'd just been told. Um, she's clearly sad hearing herself be like, oh, that's cool, at Calliope telling her about how space means she's going to be the loneliest person of it all ever to exist. Uh, but she becomes enraptured, uh, just as Diapetta starts to talk about what it means to accept your aspect, and by extension, your place in reality. Uh, she hears a ton of significance in Dave Petta's line about, my intuition tells me that all roads will lead you here eventually. Uh, and she starts spinning, trying to figure out what it means. Uh, in the moment that, uh, Jade and Dave Petta kiss, uh, Jade urges June to look away from her younger self, um before Dave Petta wakes the young Dreaming Witch with a stab. Uh, Dave Petta then turns their attention to the older June and Jade, and she fly- and they fly over to greet them. Wow, Jade, that was fast. Uh, they compliment Jade on her older looks and quick return, uh, and ask about how the big final boss fight went, um, before asking them whether they're here to fight the final boss. Uh, this takes them both off guard a little bit. Um, Dave Petta then addresses June by name to ask how she's doing. It takes them a second to readjust to Dave Petta's omniscience, uh, but they remind them that they do ultimately represent all possible Daves. Uh, Dave Petta tells June that she's not meant to be here, at which June despairs internally. Uh, she had hoped to, re- to meet Riska on the battlefield, and she objects that she can just zap right back to where she was, no problem. 
Defetta advises her that if she joins the Jade in the fight against Lord English, instead of going back to focus on the big plans back home, they have a hunch she'll just end up dying horribly, which means the two of them would never get a proper dual entity hangout to catch up on how great it is to be two people together. Uh, which is also, I think, a very cute interaction. Um, shout out to Dave Petta. June turns to Jade here for backup, uh, but Jade agrees with Dave Petta that it would probably be best if June were not to come with them. Her intuition tells her that she's needed while, that she's needed here while June is needed on Earthsea. Uh, June tries to bargain and asks if she should come back and look for her after she's done at home, and when Jade tells her that she doesn't want June to devote herself to wandering the wastes of Paradox space like Terezi did, it moves her to tears. Uh, the sisters say their goodbyes, sombered at the idea they might not see one another ever again. June says she wishes it didn't have to be them dealing with this constant heartbreak, and Jade tells her it doesn't have to be them, but she never had to become June either. She tells June that she wants to take this chance, and she d she'll do her best to come back. I know you have an amazing life ahead of you, so believe me when I say I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I get to be around for it, okay? Uh, which is a really sweet line. Um, yeah. I, I, I love Jade. Um... When Jade and June finish their goodbyes, uh, Dave Petta addresses June with some advice. Uh, they reassure her that she'll never be alone as long as she has herself. Um, she says, or they say, you've got a whole other fucking person in you, which is a great way to put it. And they tell her not to discount herself, because as long as uh, that remains true, having your own back counts for a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if this is like a metaphor that I'm too stupid to pick up on, but I, 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 like, I like that uh, reassurance. Like, believe in yourself. It's, it's simple, but it's effective. Um, as June starts to leave, uh, she immediately uh, thinks, Oh shit, uh, this was not how the Jade part of the plan was supposed to go. Um, but she tells herself, it'll have to do. It'll have to all work out. We return to the present. Um, Dirk finds himself paralyzed in the midst of trying to force June's soul into Jake. Uh, suspended in time and space by date by the sudden presence of jade and dave petta uh jade rearranges the scene so dirk restores june's soul to her body instead of uh jake's before again freezing him in place uh, she does a little uh space uh switcheroo so dirk pushes june's soul back into her body um and then puts jake back right back uh where he was right before uh the sight of jade returning causes jake to faint uh and her other friends to gather around to behold her appearance um, Dave, Karkat, Rose, Kanai, and especially Terezi are shocked to hear a much, much older Jade recount how she spent hundreds of years in Paradox space after June took her back to fight Lord English. Uh, Dirk speaks up again and starts to talk shit about how she's going to ruin everything by saving June, uh, but she shuts him up by force choking him and tossing him aside. Uh, and Jade at this point introduces herself to Dirk as she does to all of her enemies as the fearsome Silverbark. Good name. What do we think? What What do we think of Silver Park? Um, I would say it's a an unexpected turn of events. I would say so as well. Um, I kind of love the idea of Jade as like a badass grandma space drifter. I do too. <laughs> it, it's kind of really fucking sick. Uh, she finally gets to yeah. do something. She's a character. <laughs> Oh my, what a, what a novel idea, John. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Giving Jade things to do. Oh my no God. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, uh, I, I love, I love this chapter in particular. Um, I, I, I think we've talked about, like, we love all the Jade stuff. I love all the Jade stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I, I like, 
giving Jade like the experience, like the chance to like figure herself out um by getting away from people. I I think that's cool. Uh, and yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and as always, I I, I think this is probably just like a staple of I'm I'm gonna have, like I don't it's not anything like crazy novel like the the exchange with Dave Petta um bringing in the actual conversation that Jane and Dave Petta had in the comic uh and then like giving it literal new meaning um I I think that stuff's fun it's it, it's it's fun and I I think this is a good uh good good execution of it yeah um. Yeah. So, in the final chapter, um, we skip forward in time a couple weeks, uh, and rather than seeing the rest of a badass fight with Silverbark and Dirk and see how it all wraps up, uh, we get to watch a traumatized June uh, work her way back onto the road to recovery, essentially. Uh, it begins with June back in the narrative seat. Um, we weren't didn't hear from her much uh, throughout the, most of chapter three, uh, given her status throughout most of it. Uh, and now, as we kind of go back into her being in the saddle, uh, we see that she's really been messed up by this experience. Um, it as the chapter starts, we're in the midst of a nightmare where she's being chased by Dirk again, and she's convinced that he is about to bust down the door again and kill her uh she keeps hearing his voice in her head say i'm right outside uh as she hears him and she bolts awake uh terrified she rushes outside her hammer at the ready um convinced that the threat is real uh before terezi grabs her and she pulls her back inside uh she reminds june that jerk has been dead for weeks now and the exhausted june back slips back into her troubled sleep she wakes again a little bit later in the day, um, and as she wakes up and stretches, uh, her injured arm, which has not been healing properly, uh, makes a strange noise when she stretches, uh, which triggers other flashbacks to the day it was broken. Uh, it's acute flashback sequences in the text of June remembering what it was like to be attacked by the robot, have her arm broken. Um, th throughout this chapter, there are interjections of... June's trauma, and you get a real sense of how much this has fucked her up. Um, when she goes to put her hammer away from earlier, uh, she notices that it's still splattered with Terezi's blood from the day of the plan, uh, and killing her on the sacrificial slab, which upsets her a little bit. Uh, she's unable to escape all the reminders of the, of, um, the pre of the previous chapter. June enters the kitchen after getting up, and she observes that the living room's mid-move disarray uh, is in full swing. Um, her and Terezi are moving out of her old house, um, and they are trying to clean up on the way. Uh, Terezi is in the kitchen, uh, cleaning all of the mountains and mountains of dirty dishes that have accumulated over the years. Um, as best as one can when her only mechanism to check how clean a plate is is to lick it again. Uh, June moves to try to help her, uh, but Terezi pushes her away, reminding her that her shaky hand will, which only has limited mobility still, will only be a liability. Um, Terezi continues to clean on her own, but herself soon gives up, and she starts indiscriminately throwing old dishes and plates in the trash and breaking shit. 
Uh, June starts to protest, but she realizes that her old collectible plates don't really mean that much to her anymore, and she moves to join Terezi. Um, we learn they're having company over that night, uh, having a big party to celebrate, um, and June is insecure about how the plates will come when uh, all her friends come and it's dirty like this. Uh, while trashing and smashing various Egbert household kitchenware, uh, June cuts her wounded arm, um, and June falls down and cuts her wounded arm. Uh, when she carries herself back to the sink to wash up, uh, Terezi complains and asks that she get to slip up some of the blood beforehand. Uh, and June relents before she rinses out her wound out with a sink water and ties it in place with a dirty dish towel. Uh, Jade shows up at her house at their house at this point. Um, Terezi jo- uh, greets her and turns the jets a bit and starts flirting. Uh, as soon as Jade is out of earshot, Terezi turns to June and says, I want to fuck your sister. Uh, which is funny. <laughs> um, and uh, June hates it. Uh, the discomfort of the situation compounds another rising headache. Um, and uh, Jade and Terezi leave to go on a shopping trip to replace some of the broken kitchenware and leave June some space to breathe. Uh, on her own again, um, June slips into another flashback. Uh, this time, she's consumed by the memory of having her soul pulled apart and what it was like to be reduced back to her base components so soon after developing a sense of self. Uh, shortly, she is shocked again. She is shocked awake again by Jane, uh, who has arrived on scene to help prepare dinner. Um, June tries to get up, but the pain from her wounds stops her, and Jane immediately takes notice and inspects her. Um, she remarks on Karkat Kanaya's amateurish god-tier work in healing her arm and her stomach, um, and she heals uh, June's torso before she turns her attention to her arm. Um, she says, unfortunately, that it's started to heal wrong, uh, and she can't really do anything to help her. And she chides June for not doing the physical therapy that was required for her injuries to heal correctly. Uh, when uh, she inspects June's fresh cut from that morning, uh, she's appalled at how little effort she put into first aid for it. And she demands of her, how can you expect us to treat you like an adult if you can't take care of yourself? Um... She continues to lecture June on the importance of taking care of herself. Uh, she says it's important that everyone, quote-unquote, live properly. Uh, and part of this is um, self-care. And it's their duty to the world they created to keep themselves safe in this way. Uh, June compares this idea about living properly to something Dirk would say. And Jane lashes out in anger and slaps her. Uh, she instantly pulls back and apologizes before offering a hand in healing June's open wound. Um, it, completely apologetic. Uh... June looks at the fresh scar that it left and comments on how literal the idea of set in stone is becoming for her. Um, she starts to talk about Dirk again, uh, but when Jane starts to speak up and push back on behalf of her friend, uh, June becomes agitated and she starts to shout about what he did before passing out again. Uh, June awakes moments later. Um, the memory of camera crews surrounding her in the wreckage of Rose's house uh, bleeds into the sight of Jane standing over her, um, worrying about what's just happened and why she just passed out. Um, she doesn't want to deal with it and she excuses herself and holds herself upstairs uh, passing by her dad's converted red room into her childhood room and falling asleep on the good old little shitty twin bed uh, she thinks about what it was like as John with the risker ripped out of her uh, in Dirk's void uh, and she hears the voices of her friends urging her not to give up as well Um, when she wakes up uh, from this flashback fever dream memory sequence uh she calls out to terezi over their shared narrative wavelength um and terezi comes upstairs to comfort her 
uh, Terezi holds June and she listens to her vent about how useless she feels sad at home with all the trauma of their great plan. Uh, and she tells her not to feel guilty or worthless for her current condition and says it's normal for someone in her position. Terezi has been through a lot and understands about trauma and what it does to people uh, and makes it clear to June that the only reason that she's not reacting the same way is that she's been through this shit a lot in the past. It's and it's not as easy. it's it's just as difficult for her. Uh, she goes out and she goes on and confesses that she blames herself for this because she underestimated Dirk's capacity for irrational hatred. Um, uh, quoting again, uh, we could have prepared for this if I'd just been a little bit smarter. It's too late now. I have to live with my mistake, and that means not resenting you for the reminder I fucked up. You need help. I can help, and I want the help. That's all that matters anymore. Uh, June playfully moves to lift Terezi's tears from her face as she gets emotional. Uh, the mood shifts, and it's looking like we might have to avert our gaze. Uh, but June falls into another horrific flashback attack, um, just as the mood gets playful. Uh, she forgets who she is, um, loses her sense of identity, and she starts screaming uncontrollably, uh, burdened by the horror of being, once again, Vriska-less. Uh, in her fervor, uh, she becomes aware of Dave Petta and Jade nearby, um, and the last thing she recognizes before passing out and waking up again is uh, Dave Petta's hand on her chest, um, doing some kind of electrical soul thing. Uh, when she regains consciousness, um, she hears Jade and Terezi uh, discussing her condition, uh, and Jade thanks Terezi for being there for her sister while she recovers. Um, she hears, June hears from Jane Terezi about the intensity of that episode, uh, and she's really embarrassed about screaming, um, but she's thankful that it didn't happen in front of Jane. Uh, she vents her anger at Dirk and the trauma he left her with and what it's done to her, and the cowardice of him killing himself before he ever confronted the aftermath of what he did. Uh, we learned here that Dirk didn't just die, uh, but he died by his own hand a couple weeks ago, um, which really, really casts the whole thing in a strange light yeah or in a, not not even a strange light but it's a it's it's fucked up is what it is uh she wishes she can move on but she can't even bring herself to cry about it and let uh let alone let go of the pain um outside uh roxy and calliope arrive uh june welcomes the distraction but jade stops her as Terezi goes to greet the guests and asks to speak in private she questions june about her what her dreams have been like and she's trying to figure out the implications of dirk's meddling uh, but confess that even with all of her hundreds of years of worldly experience, um, June's gender ghost retcon ability adds so many variables to the mix that it completely eludes her. Uh, June tells her, you know, it's not your responsibility to fix me, um, which elicits a smile from Jade at how familiar and June-like it is to say that. Uh, she tries to apologize for leaving Jade behind as well when they went back, which Jade laughs off and says she should be proud, having probably saved her own life as well as the countless others she saved in her travels. Um, and she relates an anecdote about how uh, she saved uh, three separate populous solar systems from quantum singularity implosion bombs, thanks to June's help. Um, June starts to bring up that day that she came back to visit her sister in the lab, uh, but the memories of it the day start to overwhelm her, and she almost collapses before continuing. Um, she talks about how it took hours after Dirk ripped her apart before she woke up as herself, uh, and how it was the worst thing she'd ever experienced. Uh, she describes it as an ocean of inconsolable misery, uh, but the only thing that kept her going was the idea that if she gave up, that would be just even a little bit worse somehow. Uh, as she's recounting this, a knock at the door scares her, and she loses control again. Um, uh, hallucinates Dirk approaching again, 
uh, and she falls to the floor. Uh, June is dimly aware of her worried friends gathering around her, and she overhears Rose and Jane and Dave Petta talking about trying to help her before they all fade away. So we are treated to one more uh, June dream sequence. Um, things get very uh, Evangelion episode, like, 25, 26 here. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I feel like uh, comparing everything to Ava is a little bit hacky, <laughs> but, like, come on, come on. It's us. It's us. We have to. <laughs> I mean, like, also, like, did, we read the same thing, right? Like, this is Ava, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the last June James sequence is a conversation between her internal self, uh, stripped of its identity and answering only as J, and an unknown V, uh, who quickly established herself as one would expect. Um, the the V is Friska. Uh, so we're treated we're, we are treated to this uh Eva-esque scene where June struggles to recapture her sense of self and find the will to live again. Um Riska encourages her to remember that she's still a person and questions why it is that she doesn't want to die, which June searches deep within to try to figure out why is it that I don't want to give up. Um and she tries to retreat into the void, but finds herself unable to escape and can only hear what Riska has to say. Uh, Vriska, quote-unquote Vriska says that she's not entirely sure what her own deal is either, um, since, like June, her sense of self is pretty recent, um, but she is convinced of their complementary natures and urges June to see the opposite perspective, uh, how somebody as brash and uncompromising and controlling as Vriska could admire, uh, someone like Egbert's ability to roll with the punches. Um, Vriska talks about, like, I'm, like, I'm rigid, like, I can't deal with things, but you... Just let things roll off you like water. Uh, it's incredible. Um, and at this, uh, Jay starts to wonder what a combination of the two of them might look like. Uh, and the two speakers uh, lose their identities and kind of melt together as one as we turn into as we shift into this uh, next mode of conversation. Um, there's an exchange between uh, a black and a red voice. Um, once again, the the red voice being the june's self-doubt uh it's it's telling her give it all up the world doesn't want to see us happy um you think to be fine in the short term but it will all there will always be more on the way uh basically like echoing what dirk tried to implant in her like the the seeds of uh self-doubt and self-hate um and the black voice in this exchange uh answers these concerns by questioning why everyone else's fate should be the first thing they're worried about. Why can't they just get to enjoy uh, being happy? Why do they have to be worried that it's going to ruin everything? Um, and the red voice uh, trails off this exchange, just urging her to kill herself and at least be the author of her own tragedy. Um, I thought that was really interesting, just in the light of, like, Dirk kills himself in the candy epilogue? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like the the thing about being the author of your own tragedy, like that that like that's such a um I, I don't I can't even be completely confident whether that's supposed to be an exact time, but like that rings so familiar to me of like that's exactly something that Dirk would say, and, like that rings with something that he ended up doing, basically. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Um We go back to a to to, to June speaking. Um, in the narration. Um, she thinks about the pain inflicted on her by Dirk and the evil that he represented 
by trying to control and squash her the way he did. Um, and how uh, it, insane and, and horrible it was that he thought he had any right to put her through what he did. Uh, her anger at him motivates her, and she resolves to survive this and move on. Um, she describes the memory of waking up in the hospital and finding out that Dirk had killed himself. Uh, and the moment that she and Terezi shared uh, in anguish at knowing that they couldn't get closure on this. Um, and then what it was like in the weeks following uh, being followed around by this memory of Dirk that she could never shake uh, and trying to um, interact with her friends and recoup some sense of normalcy while being haunted by this. Uh, Dirk killing himself uh, represented an escape on his own terms. Um, and she convinced, and she, uh, out of fear and paranoia, she has convinced herself that he's still out there. Um, and that's the only explanation for what happened. Um, but at the end of her reflection, uh, Brain Ghost Friska motivates her with the power of anger, uh, urging her to go on and not let Dark Beater in the end. Uh, June, uh, she finds in herself to push forward, uh, saying that maybe she should just find, maybe she should find a healthier way to work through it eventually, but in the meantime, Petty Spite will do just fine. June wakes up again, uh, thankfully alone. Uh, she reaches out to, to Therese psychically and asks her to send Jane up, um, so she can apologize to her. Uh, June apologizes to Jane for dismissing her loyalty to Dirk, and she says she understands now that she wasn't the only victim of Dirk's deceit and manipulation. Um, Jane thanks her for this, and that she admits that she has a problem expressing her emotions without getting mad, to which June agrees. Uh, Jane, feeling a bit more comfortable now, uh, asks if June can keep a secret, and goes on to describe what she found when it felt to her to clean up the deceased Dirk's affairs. Uh, nobody else wanted to deal with it, so Jane, being the closest to him, uh, went ahead and took care of it. Um, when she went to clean up his house, uh, pertaining to June, all that she found was a torn scrap of notebook paper that read, set in stone, with four question marks afterwards. Uh, clearly, something about June's tattoo had gotten to Dirk. Um, but she, but Jane didn't find anything else that she would have expected uh, around this. There were no scribblings of his, of his plans regarding June. There was no explanation of why he was acting this way. Uh, this is the only thing that she could find pertaining to June. Um, in hushed tones, uh, she describes also finding the launch pad in the robotic vessel for Rose that would have featured in the ending of the Mead epilogue. Uh, and for Jane... These weird, inexplicable revelations about her friend have shaken how she saw him to the foundations. Um, and she confesses that she had the evidence of all this destroyed before anyone else can see, and that June is the one who she told about this. Uh, Jane confesses that she entertained the possibility that, at first, that June was to blame for everything going on. But after seeing the effect that Dirk's wrath had, not only on June, but the people he called friends as well, Jane, Jake, Roxy, uh... She doesn't really believe that he ever cared for any of them, really. Um, June thanks Jane for sharing that um, and asks if she'll return the favor uh, in a confessional. Um, she says she's been thinking about her tattoo and what the message set in stone means to her. Uh, and she decides that uh, she can still choose which scars to bear and that moving forward means letting some ghosts die. So from here, uh, we cut to the party underway out in the living room. Um where all of our beloved kins and trolls are yakking it up, having a good time. Um, Jade is sharing one of her various exploits with Rose and Kanaya. Uh, Dave and Jake are swapping stories about their respective Dirks. 
Dave Petta wows Calathea recounting a story of some fight long past, and Karkat shows off his blood powers while Terezi encourages him to stop. <laughs> uh, June enters the scene, uh, her freshly retconned robot arm on display, and immediately all eyes are on her. A couple of her friends express their concern for this new development, and question how much it's a quote-unquote risk a thing. But Dave, like a good friend, diffuses the tension. Hey, this conversation sucks. June, my fucking bitch, you are extremely not drunk enough right now. We're doing shots. Uh, Dave peer pressures the rest of the group uh, one by one into compliance, um, and any friction over June's new look doesn't survive the distribution of shots. Uh, Jake leads the group in a toast uh, to tomorrow and to every day that follows. Dave comes back to the robot arm and starts joking about Inspector Gadget before Rose takes the opportunity to ask in earnest why June made this decision uh, to go back and replace her damaged arm with uh, with a retconned on robot arm. Uh, at her answer, uh, honestly, I got sick of being reminded of him. The conversation goes quiet, uh, and June excuses herself to go talk to Terezi, who's outside on the porch. Uh, Terezi is surprised by the robot arm, uh, in the same positive sense that she's been surprised with June thus far. Uh, reminds me of the way it, it, it's a call back to the way, to the conversation that she had with uh, Kanaya about June's unpredictability. Um, she doesn't understand. Terezi doesn't understand June's relationship with her own categorically different disability. Uh, and she asks June why it is that she made this decision. Um, June ponders her new arm, and she again answers that this is the scar that she chose. Uh, Dirk wanted to hurt her bad enough that she couldn't escape him, and this is her answer. He doesn't get to succeed. He doesn't get to succeed even in death. She proclaims that there is work yet to be done, and that she still wants to see, make Earth see a better place, and she wants to be ready and able to do it. Uh, Terezi is surprised at June's sudden motivation. Um, and she's happy to stay for it. Uh, that's good enough for me. Uh, to my great surprise, June, it turns out I like surprises. Um, June rests her head on Terezi's shoulder, uh, and they thank each other for being part of their lives, and they look out, uh, happily onto the future together. And that is the end of this part. We did it! Woo! We... <laughs> we... That, before we congratulate ourselves, <laughs> what, 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 what did you think of this? What did we think of this? Um... What did I think of it? Um, resident, uh, resident Egbert fan. You know, I'm. I don't really have any complaints anymore. I feel like my complaints have been addressed. Woo! We did it. We did it. Yeah, I um, I like this thing overall. Uh, I I think it's maybe. Um, I don't know if I'm like entirely a target audience for a lot of it. Yeah, uh, we'll say. Um, but I felt like uh, as somebody who's grown up with like around trans people, mm-hmm. um, there like there was a lot of like stuff that I thought was funny and relatable, like in like Dirk or not. Oh my god, Whoa. what the fuck, Alex? Edit Whoa. that out. <laughs> uh, I meant to say Dave. Worst forties of my life. Oh my lord. Yeah, I thought there was a really sympathetic character in this whole thing. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I thought that uh, it, it was there. Were a lot, of, a lot was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, like uh, early, like I said earlier, like Dave's um, apologetic uh, apology is really great. I, I love the way that he comes back in the end and does good allyship by being like, "Everyone, shut the fuck about all this weird shit. We're we're doing shots. Um, fantastic." Uh, but like, other than that, um. 
it's a I thought it was a pretty interesting compelling story um from June's perspective uh and I feel like I have I feel like I learned or like absorbed some new perspective um through it yeah uh good for you yeah <laughs> good 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 for me I'm gonna congratulate myself some more here um yeah I, I don't know I, I think that uh overall it was it was good um what do you think of the jade what do you think of uh how we brought jade back in for this one I liked it. Uh, um, like I said earlier, um, so it's it's nice to see Jade get to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way it was done. Yeah, uh, go, I think going back sorry. going back to the the moment with Dave Petta mm-hmm. was really good. I think uh, Jade works pretty well as like a foil i guess to june in this yeah um like i i i i liked that we kind of went back to the roots of like the first chapter of this where it's um not it, it's it's not just about uh june um but it's it's like recognizing that jade got screwed pretty hard too and i i i love that we've we've given her something to do and we've uh i think that the the, the way execution is like very believable and really good yeah definitely um, shout out to Dave Petta for existing. Um, yeah, I generally I liked I I I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought the the part where they go to Rose and Kanaya's house, I I enjoyed that. The, mm-hmm. the, it was a nice little conversation between them. What was the highlight of that for you? Or like, uh, what was the what was what's your reasoning? I guess. Um. I don't know. I like I like tough situations uh being amended and repaired. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know. I like I like seeing people make up and and be good again. Mhm. Yeah, I think that um Ro- the Rosen Kanaya's portrayal in this fic is really funny. Um I didn't have time to like call it all out, but there is a lot of dialogue where uh, Terezi observes Rose. She she comments on Rose Kanaya as being chased, um, more than just the one time. Uh, it, it's very funny to see like how Terezi views Rose and Kanaya's relationship. As somebody who thinks that Terezi that Rose and Kanaya have a very fun relationship, um, it, it, the uh like, I don't know if it's that uh Sarah isn't as much into that pairing and it's manifested through Terezi, or if this is just Terezi's uh funny like punk angle on it mm-hmm. but I, I i found that quite entertaining yeah um, um i do i do have one gripe okay one one big gripe let's gripe um i'm not the biggest fan of flashbacks when it comes to writing <laughs> yeah uh, uh me neither and i i i i feel like to pull off a flashback in general, you you have to have like a flow, uh, because mm-hmm. I think in most cases in writing, a flashback brings everything to a halt. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean it kind of has to. Yeah, and like that's that tends to be my problem with flashbacks. I I was getting a little a little bit of flashback fatigue in this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. I generally thought that it was like. 
I was trying to think of like how one would structure this uh, with like I I just I just think that this would be a lot more boring if we went linearly through uh, the Jade part and the Jake part. Yeah. Um, like I think that that would be kind of boring if we did that. Yeah, I like, could see that. I don't. I, I don't really know if I can. If I'm in a position to offer a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's just it's just the something I observed is like every time there was a flashback I was like oh a flashback mm-hmm. yeah that, that that's fair yeah I, it's definitely um I don't know it it's it, it never makes it easier to read on the first brush but I think that the uh it, it does a good job of like conveying information as the action plays out yeah um and like I said earlier I think like. I think that were you to execute something like this, like in Homestuck, like in the same format, I think it would probably look somewhat similar to this in terms of just like structure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's to- totally fair. Totally fair. Um, yeah, I mean, if I want to compl- if I want to complain, it's that I couldn't relate to any of the lesbian flirting. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what did you think of uh, Jane in this? I know that Jane is kind of a contentious uh, character in general, uh, and we saw it with the epilogues, but I thought this was kind of an interesting approach to her. Like, she's clearly got some very problematic ideas and views the world in some very strange ways. Yeah. Uh, but there's... She has... They share this moment at the end that's, like, kind of, like, one, one of the more, uh, like one of the more like private and serious like one-on-one exchanges i think yeah in this last chapter i think i think this is maybe one of the more realistic depictions of 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 jane on earth sea that i that i've seen mm-hmm. uh not 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 as over the top fascist dictator as the apologues were but also not like you know, woobifying her to a point where, like, the, the like, places that she was in Homestuck proper. Like, it, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. ignore the fact that, like, yeah, she probably would grow up to be a little, a little obtuse <laughs> when it, when it, co- yeah, I, when it comes to certain things. Yeah, I, like, there were a couple of moments where, like, I found myself getting mad at her, like, I would get mad at a real racist person saying something that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, like the, when, uh, she has her argument with Terezi, uh, where she's like, I will not let a, an alien, uh, stick their filthy fingers in my brain again, uh, or whatever it is she says. It's like, that's, you know, pretty fucking disgusting, but like Jane would have a lot of trauma around learning that she grew up the way, like about learning about like the truth about her childhood. Right. Like, I think, um, it, it does unfortunately kind of makes sense that jane would be uh pretty racist i now now that i'm thinking about it maybe it's intentional but she does give off like uh problematic grandma vibes like grandma you have that like you when, when you're around her she's really nice and she's really caring but like if you talk about like a real world event it's like grandma you don't need to say those things like yeah 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 it, it's uh she's yeah jane is portrayed a, that's a good way to put it like she's portrayed like a real person would be like she's a functioning 
person who is capable of being kind, but the the wrong topic yeah. uh, sets her off. And, you know, it's a little bit more than that because the, the aliens she raises against are among them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, it, it, I think uh, this is an interesting portrayal of her. And, and I like that uh, there's... You know, I think that um the the way that, like, June always ends off these things is good because, like, there's always... Like, they, they've reached this understanding... Um, and then, uh, Jane's like, well, I probably have some more to do on this. And June's like, yeah, you do. Um, but she accepts it because, like, she recognizes that it's, like, like, Jane accepts it because she recognizes that it's true. Um, it's, it's, it's like, it's very, it, it, it's a very, like, happy, 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 happy ending. Mm-hmm. But, um, I like it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy it more than Jane just being a racist piece of shit throughout the entire thing, I guess. I don't know. Sue me. Um, and I, I, I do like the, the Evangelion style bit that we touched on earlier. It is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. The, <laughs> um, I guess if I would complain about flashbacks anywhere, it would be that there's a lot of them in that last chapter, but I can't really complain about because the point there is to underline that, like, June is working through a lot of trauma. Um, so I, sure. Like, yeah, th- I think those... That, those ones are less narrative flashbacks and more literal flashbacks. Yeah, and the text also like is broken up like heavily heavy use of line breaks. Yeah. Um so like yeah, I I can forgive it when the text is being purposely disjointed and hard to follow. Um so yeah, it, I I think that generally speaking, um the unconventional writing techniques uh employed here work more often than not high praise i guess yeah <laughs> um so yeah i i uh, am running out of things to say about it um i if there are any more specifics you can think of um, to call back on how do you feel i guess well i'm oh, sorry what were you gonna say i was gonna say something about roxy what were you gonna say um say the roxy thing. Was in the story uh i wasn't gonna say about roxy i was just gonna say um yeah, I think, like, much the same as Jane. Like, I think Roxy also is really good here. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, again, like, a, the believability. Like, it's it's, belie- it's 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 believable. Like, Roxy kind of is the opposite of Jane in this bit. Like, she's starts out, like, very firmly in June's camp, but she has this lingering loyalty to Darks that she can't shake because she grew up with him. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, if, if anything, I... If anything, I kind of wish there was a little bit more of, like, Roxy working through it. Although, I don't know how different it... Like, because it, it... No, it probably would look pretty different from how uh, Jane has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, if, if anything, like, my biggest complaint is that uh, there should have been more of, like, Roxy working out the post-Dirk thing instead of, um, like, she's doubtful when Jaden, when June and Terezi visit and then uh, immediately, uh, like... Immediately flips sides as soon as she sees Dirk uh, doing what he is. Which, I mean, fair enough. Like, I, I would probably turn on my friend if I saw that going down, too. But I, I wish there had been maybe... A, it, it, not even, I think it maybe might have been benefited from, like, having that for Roxy as well. But if you had to pick one, then I think Jane probably was ultimately the right choice to just do one of those. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't even have a question there. What, what did you think of the Roxy thing? <laughs> um... What did I think of the Roxy thing? Yeah, any any uh, thought, any specific uh, thoughts on 
like Roxy's role in this. Yeah, I would have like, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more Roxy and how she's coping with it cuz you know, it's it, it it is kind of dropped on us that you know Dirk killed himself mm-hmm. at the end of this, and like R- Roxy's role in it. Uh, well, once it was revealed what what Dirk was up to was true, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was very sudden, and I don't. Roxy kind of jumped into action, and I don't feel like there was ever a point where we got to explore that and like how she dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, like, I don't think it's unfair for, I, I think that it's fine that she didn't go through it in the moment, but yeah. like, it could have been neat to see. It'd be cool to see. Um, we also, yeah. we also have to understand that like, this is not the end of God feels. <laughs> like, oh yeah, like, for sure. Like, like <laughs> we're talking about it. Like we're, we're, we're talking about it cause we are uh, moving on to another yeah. fan work yeah. um, at this so, juncture. Very well in the next part, we, there could be like a whole chapter dedicated to, to, to Roxy, like dealing with it. Like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about it on the pod, but we're just, we're just saying. Um, yeah. And that does kind of, yeah, uh, that does kind of lead into what I was going to ask you. Do you have something else to say? No, go ahead. Um, uh, this is this is us giving ourselves a platform to scrutinize one of our patrons. Uh Uh-oh. Do you feel like this is a good stopping point? Like, are you are you satisfied? I mean, it is it, it is where we're gonna stop, but like, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I I, I have my complaints. Like that, like we could have got some more Roxy at this point, but like, I feel like this is a fine um stopping point for us. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, like we've, 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 we've gotten through the dark bit. Um, we've got, uh, so we've got some really good Jade content. We've established that this is good content. Mm. We can recommend it. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that we've done our share of, of this. Yeah. Okay. Um, now that, uh, now, now that our, our, our one fan who really wanted more of this is, uh, upset to hear that, uh, I, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess that's it then. I don't know. <laughs> what were you, what were you gonna bring this into? Um, I don't know. I, I just I just want to know if you felt like you got if you have closure <laughs> at this point. Like, do you, oh, I I, ima- yeah, I imagine I, you're not gonna keep reading it. Uh, I you, might. You might. Uh, I I might check it out like sometime down the line, but I don't know if I'm gonna like do it tomorrow. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I think I I think I'm happy with what we've done from this. I think that we got a a, a nice like representative chunk, um, and I think that it ended at a nice point where we've resolved the matter at hand. Uh, we've we we we've established June. We've established like June's motivations and like the conflicts of her uh like coming out to her friends. I I I think I got what I was. I I think I got out of it what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you feel? Or what, what? What do you think? Are you wishing for more? I might. Like, like yeah. you said, I might at some point. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see what the next thing is. Uh, let me let me click next on this and see what see what happens after this. Um, it's another sex one. Oh, awesome! Uh, and it, lo- yeah. it looks like it's between <laughs> Rose and June. 
Oh, awesome. Cool. I guess that happens next. <laughs> yeah, we also we also got we got, we got a very funny comment. Um, was this on the SoundCloud? Oh no! Uh, was hang on. This? <laughs> this was on the Spotify. Uh, oh, I, I didn't that. know this. I, I I was checking out. Uh, I was checking my email actually, and I got a, I got an email about it. And apparently, at some point, um, they added a feature where you can ask listeners questions. But if mm-hmm. you don't, if you don't like put a question yourself, the the default question that it prompts is what did you think about this episode? Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, I, I'm sorry. Uh, dead memer one, two, three. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put you on blast. Uh, but, but, <laughs> uh, uh, read the comment, read the comment. Yeah. Um, the, the comment, uh, which was on our first Godfields episode was, are you going to read the porn intermissions? Uh, no. Sorry to disappoint. No. We're, we're, we're not going to cover those. Uh, I, I was I was very unsure of what commentary I could add to them that might uh, th- that might add to the value of this podcast. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry to disappoint. Uh, our horniest soldier. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Th- thank you for your input. We, we really appreciate hearing from fans. All right. Uh, I think that that's as good a part as any to wrap this up. So, um, yeah, I, I'll say, yeah, I think you're I'll right. say again. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with this fic. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, some harsh stuff, some fun stuff, um, some great, and my favorite, which is a uh, great Dave writing. So hats off to Sarah Z, uh, for this one. Hmm. Um, would you like to ex- recommend this as well? Sure. I would. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so if you're so if if somehow you listened to all of this and you are interested in June content and you haven't read it yet, uh I'm sorry for spoiling the whole thing, but that's kinda on you, so go and check it out. Um I think that we are about ready to wrap up for today. So uh without further ado, um John, would you like to shout out our patrons? I would love to. Alright. I guess I guess we both shout the patrons. Yeah. All right, so uh, I will begin with mine, which John tells me have not changed. So thank you still to uh, Michael P and Poop the Twenty Seventh, and, and the rest of our supporters, and and the other ten of you. Um, Jay unionize everything except cops. Logan conduit of queerness, mage of life. Uh, Ashen one, Haxis three, Tezrak, cowgirl Vriska. Danny, <laughs> Caffeine, Gareth F., Simon Martins, and Corin. Thank you all for money. Thank you, Thank you all so much for your support. Uh, this this one took a while for us to get around to doing it. We are sincerely apologetic about it, um, but we're done. Uh, and you'll hear from us again soon. Um, Absolutely. Don't want to make any hard commits at this point because I am moving soon. Woo! So we'll see we'll we'll see when we next get the the chance to sit down um but uh we look forward to uh hearing from you guys uh and doing this again next time um so yeah uh i i forgot to do this in the fucking normal like three it's been so long i'm so rusty at this oh my god damn uh yeah so shout out to our patrons uh shout out to everybody else um 
yeah uh we're sorry that this took so long um we are really really appreciative that uh anybody still tuned in to listen to this even after the hiatus thank you guys all so much it means a lot um and of course uh thank you to alex uh our artist and editor uh who has been waiting on us to do this one for a long time so here you go alex it's finally (laughs) done and uh with that out of the way uh you have been listening to a homestuck podcast uh i'm aiden i'm john uh and we will see you around see ya